If I have not met you, my name is Pastor Mike Glotzer. I'm the lead pastor. Privileged to join you in worship, whether it's in person at our first service, this service, or online. We're so glad that you're a part of Mercy Road this morning. Say, we finished a sermon series called I Dare You, uh, Biblical Profiles and Courage. That was a great series. Chad finished that up last week. Today, I'm going to do a standalone message. Chad will do a standalone next Sunday, and then we'll be in the book of 1 John in the New Testament for the rest of the summer, our summer series. Today, I'd like to ask you a question that the scripture asks to all of us, and it is simply this, where are you? Where are you at? And not just physically, but where's your heart at towards God? That's the question that we'll be asking today because we have this tendency as human beings, whether you've followed Christ your whole life, whether you're a new believer, whether you're a skeptic, I would say, or even an atheist, to hide, to hide from our Heavenly Father. It is Father's Day, and uh, I have the privilege to be the dad to Isaac, Clark, Adeline. Uh, Isaac is eight. I mentioned him first because we don't want that middle child syndrome to, to seep in. Clark is 10, and Adeline is five. She can be mentioned last because she has no shortage of confidence. And uh, we, uh, my wife and I, Erica, just love the privilege of being parents and uh, want to wish you all a happy Father's Day. And as Carrie, our kids' ministry director, mentioned, we also want to acknowledge maybe this is a joyful day, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's painful. Maybe you didn't have a relationship with your dad. Maybe you lost your dad and you're in mourning. Maybe your dad was really difficult. Maybe you wanted to be a dad and that hasn't worked out for you. And the good news about that is this church sees every man and woman who follow Jesus Christ as a spiritual father and mother, and we're, we're raising the next generation together, so we need you. We need you, and we welcome you to that family uh, picnic, whether you're single, married, a father biologically or not, on Tuesday. Did you know that I'm actually not a father of three, though? As of last Christmas, I'm a father of four, if you count dogs. We have the privilege of uh, having blue... Australian Shepherd in our lives now, and it's a funny way to wake up in the Lotzer household if you're me, because Blue has decided that I'm his person. This breed, I'm told, clings on to somebody, and they don't let go, and so he's in a kennel by our bed, and I have to be really careful from like 3.30 onward, because if I roll or make too much noise, he interprets I'm up, and then he wants to get up, not to start the day, but just to hug me. I never knew dogs could physically hug people, but that's what he does every single morning. He jumps in bed, and it's like he's saying, Dad, are, are we still good? Do you love me? I love you. I, I thought about you all night. Like, how's it going? And it's, it's a fun way to wake up, but it reminds me of a, a quote by C.S. Lewis that, that does convict me. Uh, let me read it from you. It comes from his little book, Mere Christianity. Lewis writes this, It comes to the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to what other, to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, all day. Standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind. Lewis goes on to write that our morning should be filled with acknowledging the presence of our Heavenly Father, His goodness in our life. And, and the way that blue greets me often convicts me. Do I 
jump into my Heavenly Father's arms like that? Or am I concerned about what I want to eat or what coffee needs to be in my system to function or my hopes and my plans and my dreams for the day? If I'm honest, many, if not most, mornings consist of first hugging blue and then moving forward into other matters. And if you really want to get technical, that is a form of hiding from God, or at least ignoring God. Think about the way that you wake up in the morning. Do you acknowledge that you have a heavenly Father who loves you? Or do you just go about your day? Do you just rush into it? Today we're considering the human tendency of hiding from God, and today we ask two questions. Why do we hide, and how do we stop hiding from the very best of fathers. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 10, the first book in the Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. This is the NIV translation. And in the beginning, God created human beings in a paradise, and we had a perfect relationship with him, and we rebelled, and we have rebelled, and it has been repeated throughout the generations. And this is part of the ripple effect, the collateral damage, the consequences. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they, what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve did the one thing that God asked them not to do, and they immediately became aware of their own vulnerabilities in the presence of God, of their own shortcomings and insecurities. They became aware painfully of the fracture that they had created in the relationship between them and their heavenly Father who loves them, and so they did what they hid, and we hide. It's what we do, and why do we do it? Maybe for some of us, we hide from our heavenly Father because we have this deep sense that we have not lived the life we should have. We have shame. We can logically understand that if God exists, and we believe he does, he knows every thought and deed and action that we've done and left undone that we should have done. And in that sense of guilt and shame, we just hide, and we hide by scrolling through our phone on Facebook, and we hide by spending more time on Netflix than we should, and we hide by looking to our career not just as a way to help other people and make money and participate in the human community, but to validate us, to justify us. And we look to uh, the romantic partner in our life, not just as a partner to work, to connect our work to God's work and raise a family and be a part of the community and all of that, but we look to our partner as somebody who should be in the place of God, should redeem us. And so we hide from our Heavenly Father. The text is pretty clear. In Genesis, our Heavenly Father asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Adam replies, we hide, we hid from you, God, because we felt naked and ashamed. And maybe today, if you're honest, you feel naked and you feel ashamed in the presence of God. Maybe you feel guilty from mistakes you've made as a father. How many dads are here present today. Raise your hand if you're a father, a biological father, or, or you've mentored somebody and played a role. And now lower your hands if you are a perfect father and have no regrets. 
There's a lot of lowered hands. Come on. Did you just, the, you, every one of us has regrets. I mean, I'm only halfway into this journey as a, as a father. But there are days when I, I think, man, why did I get so cranky? Why did I respond like that? I hope I don't damage my kid's psyche because I'm such a bad soccer coach. You know, stuff like that. We all have our regrets. We all have our reasons for hiding from God, and, and that's worth thinking about. But I think the more practical, the more important question on this Father's Day is this. How do we stop hiding from God? How do we stop? How do we come out of hiding? And it's not an easy question to answer. And there are a few biblical answers to it. I'm going to highlight two and only two for our purposes today. They could be described as divine sympathy and define storms. God sent sympathy and God sent storms. Several years ago, uh, probably seven years ago, I hired a pastoral coach because I went through a season of kind of ministry burnout. I put too much importance in my career as a pastor and numbers and the scorecard. I let that really be my validation. And I have some regrets as a father for some of those years where I wasn't as present to my kids. And this pastoral coach helped me. He, he encouraged me to do a lot of healthy things like working out and praying every day with my wife and having a quiet time that had nothing to do with the sermon that I was preparing. And when I asked him, do you have any direction for the quiet time? He said, Psalm 103. It's a chiropractic psalm. If you've attended Mercy Road for any length of time, you've heard me talk about it because I had to read it for a year straight. And I'd like to just read a little bit of Psalm 103 for us today because in it we find divine sympathy that will pull us out of hiding. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, who is his, him, our heavenly father. As far as the east is removed from the west, so far has he, our heavenly father, removed our transgressions, our sin, from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. Fear in biblical Hebrew does not mean like horror movie afraid. It means to stand in awe and reverence and loving submission to someone or something that is so beautiful, so much bigger and better than you. And you just want a relationship with that being. Some of you are hiding and what you need today is you need to be convinced that your heavenly father sympathizes with you on your journey. He knows how we are formed. He remembers we are like dust. It's probably the case that you don't know why you do all the things you do. Some of the dysfunctions and the sin patterns in your life come from traumas and hurts and all sorts of different things on your journey that you're not fully aware of, but your Heavenly Father is. It's probably the case that some of the virtues in your life, the good things that you do that you're kind of proud of, that you give yourself credit for, you don't even realize, you don't even see that that's pure grace, pure gift in some instances, that God is just holding you up and allowing you to have that and allowing you to do that. And it's not really 
because of anything you've done. It's just a gift, but God sees that. The parent-child relationship is kind of like that, isn't it? The five-year-old hands you the, the picture he or she's worked so hard on, and they really believe it is like Van Gogh quality. And you know, but you celebrate with them as if it was worth $5 million. Maybe God's like that. And when they mess up in your better moments, as a really good father or a good mother, you don't come down incredibly hard on them. You remember how they're formed. You know their limitations. You understand them better than they understand them. And you tenderly, graciously love them. We can go back to that scripture real briefly on the screen. Uh, Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I want to acknowledge this. A lot of people live their lives, even as Christians, in a cloud of shame. And what they tell themselves is they say, if people really knew the one sin that I struggle with, then they wouldn't accept me. If they know the things I've done or said or left undone or left unsaid, then they would know I'm different, that my sin is somehow more toxic, worse than everybody else's sin. And it's like the, the guy who wrote this psalm, King David, who was not a junior varsity sinner. I mean, adultery and cover-up murder was in his profile. It's like he is reaching out to you saying, no, 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 God, your heavenly Father has removed that sin that you're so hung up on as far as the east is from the west. His love for you is as high as the heavens are from the earth. This, this is hyperbolic language meant for us to, to just have a brain freeze when we think about it because it's just so epic and huge. How is it possible that he loves you that much? You know, I notice my kids sometimes take a while to warm up to other kids when they play with them. Sometimes, you know, even an outgoing kid will just kind of freeze up and clamp up and they, they just don't play together until they've had enough reps together, enough time together. And then all of a sudden they can just pick up right where they left off and they get along well. Is it possible that you have been hiding from God on such a regular basis that you have forgotten the heart of the Father? You haven't had enough interaction with God to know how much he loves you? You haven't spent enough time ingesting and studying and diving in and just reading the scripture and what it says about God and you believe the lies, maybe today you're here or you're watching online or you're watching at a later date simply because God knows you need divine sympathy. God knows that what you really need to hear is, I get it, my child. I love you, says your heavenly father. I made you. I know your shortcomings, and I know why you have fallen short more than you know why. And I have made a way, a costly way to forgive you and to remove the sin. As far as the east is from the west, I have divine sympathy for you. That is one powerful way that we are pulled out of our hiding. But that is not the only way for many of us, and probably for all of us at one point in our, in our lives, God pulls us out of hiding 
persuades us out of hiding, not just through divine sympathy, but also through divine storms. Divine storms. How many of you have heard of Dwight L. Moody? He's a famous evangelist in the 1800s, and he was quite a man. He grew up, and his father died when he was just a little boy of alcoholism. And so he had an excuse, a built-in excuse to say, I don't have a dad. My dad died, and I had to grow up poor in the 1800s of all things, in a developing America. Who am I to tell people about Jesus Christ, to lead others to saving faith? But he didn't let that stop him. He got a sense from an early age that God, his heavenly father, would somehow make up for the shortcomings of his earthly father, his absent earthly father who left the family in financial ruin. And at the end of his life, in his biography, he said, God just did just that. My heavenly father walked with me every step of the way. Well, this man would lead hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. He was a powerful preacher. He um, was very innovative in reaching out to children who were undereducated and in the slums, and he would do these huge Sunday school programs. He kind of invented Sunday school, and he did it in rented taverns because there was no real estate. And he empowered women to um, start women's ministries, which didn't exist. I mean, you're kind of a big deal if you start the idea of Sunday school and women's ministry, right? You know, I mean, not bad, Dwight Mutey, not, not to mention his preaching was amazing. And he started a seminary and all of that. Midway in his career, as he was kind of a rising star, something happened to him. He heard that voice, where are you? And he heard it in the middle of a storm, a literal storm. He was on an ocean liner on his way from Britain to New York. He was going back home to the States. He had been in England preaching faithfully at these revival meetings, and hundreds of people were coming to Christ, and he felt very much used by God and satisfied in that service. And all of a sudden, at 3 in the morning, the captain knocks on his door and says, Mr. Moody, would you pray for us? I know you're you to be a man of God. We have just had an unfortunate incident with the bullcat at the front of the ship, and we're taking on water slowly, and there really is no way to avoid sinking in this storm. The waves were so high that they couldn't lower the lifeboats. It would have been just sudden death to put anybody in lifeboats. And the, the ship was full of men, women, and children. Now, the captain estimated it would take a day or two to fully sink, and so they were strategically moving people to the front as the ship started to sink and take on water slowly, and the storm didn't let up for days. Dwight Moody in his biography says, I started to get angry at God. I said, God, you need me. I'm Dwight Moody. I've given my entire life to you. I have given everything for your service, and I have meetings planned to lead people to Christ. And how dare you let Dwight Moody die in this storm? This is the middle of the night as it's getting really bad. And then there's another knock on the door. It's another night, and it's 3 in the morning, and the captain says, Mr. Moody, would you please write a sermon? The, the only thing I can think to do is just to have a, a worship service where you share Christ with everyone. At least everybody can hear the gospel and go to heaven together because there's no way that anyone will step out of this ship alive. We are going down, and it's ours. Dwight Moody agreed. He shuts the door, and he gets mad at God. And he, he keeps wrestling with God, and he says, fine, you want me to preach a sermon? I'll preach a sermon. He grabs his Bible, and he opens it up randomly to the middle, and then he just says, 
fine. And he puts his finger down. He's like, Lord, I'll preach on this. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest, that's a storm, that lifted high the waves. He writes in his biography that at this point, his whole attitude starts to shift. Wouldn't yours? Tears start to well up in his eyes. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He closed his Bible, and in his biography, he said, I don't even remember what I preached at that service. But I knew from that moment on that God didn't need Dwight Moody to advance his kingdom. But he delighted to include me. And after a somber worship service filled with prayer on a boat where everyone was sliding down, he went back to his cabin and he said, Lord, you've put me in a storm where I can't think my way out. I can't plan my way out. I can't even, it would seem, preach or pray my way out. And I assume this divine storm is exactly what I need. And so I trust you. Take me home. Take me home to glory. Take me home to New Haven, Connecticut. Take me home to Chicago, Illinois. I care not. I trust in you completely. And he said he slept like a baby to wake up to a knock on his door. Hours later, the captain said, it's a miracle. The ocean has turned as still as glass. And a, another ocean liner, this is before radio, so you can't radio. Another liner has seen our flares and they're just big enough to tow us back in the state that we're in, to England. Every soul on that ship was saved. But Dwight Moody's soul was different. You see, he had come to realize that it's even possible to hide from God in ministry. You can be the leader guy. You can be Mother Teresa. You can have it all together, it would seem, on the outside, but you can still be hiding. Hiding behind your career. Hiding behind your looks. Hiding behind your wit. Hiding behind your money, hiding behind your success, your athleticism, your good taste in music, literature, and art, hiding behind anything, even if you look like you have it together, even if you do have it together in many ways, Dwight Moody was convinced that he had been hiding, and he heard those words, where are you? And I wonder, do you hear those words today? I sound like Moody, I'm getting all old school preaching, but where are you? That's what Genesis says to us. Do you think for a minute that God is incapable of keeping track of human beings? You lost your iPhone three times last week, and that find my iPhone thing worked pretty well. It's the couch cushions again, right? If we can develop technology to find our stuff, you think the God who never had a beginning and will never have an end, never slumbers and knows all things, doesn't know where you're at or Adam or Eve? He knows. He asked the question so that we might know.
Where are you, Adam? Do you know? Do you know that you've strayed from me? Do you know that you've put a barrier in between our relationship? Do you know that as a result, you're hiding? Do you know that you weren't created to hide? You're created to love, to be fierce and bold, to walk with your head held high because you're a son of your heavenly father. You're a daughter of your heavenly father. Eve, where are you? How do we stop hiding from God? We open our hearts to the divine sympathy that is the very heart of God. We readjust our minds and our thinking and say, God, I think for a long time I've thought of you as just this angry, judgmental, cranky God that that just doesn't really like me. And you love me because you're somehow obligated because the Bible says you do, but you don't really like me. How do we stop hiding? We, We call that what that is. It's a lie. And we remind ourselves the real truth of Scripture. He has moved our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He loves us to the heavens, even though he sees us to the bottoms. We open our heart to divine sympathy. And how do we stop hiding? We look at the trials and the troubles in our life. We don't get bitter because God allowed them to happen to us. We, we stop and say, maybe this has brought me to the moment. This divine storm has brought me to the place where I can finally come to the end of me and start coming out of hiding and say, God, I just want to follow you and trust you, and I can't think my way out, plan my way out, buy my way out, even pray or preach my way out. I need you, and you see me. I want to close with this thought. Only in Jesus Christ do we find a storm and a sympathy that's powerful enough to stop hiding. David must have wondered, even as he wrote the the psalm, He's removed his, the transgression as far as the east is from the west. It must have weighed on his mind. Gosh, I committed adultery, and then I murdered one of my better friends, my, my war buddies, to cover up my adulterous affair with his wife. How is it possible that he moved my sin, even my sin, as far as the east is from the west? David didn't have access to what you have access to. Jesus once slept right through a storm on a fishing boat with his disciples, and, and when it looked like the boat was going to capsize and the waves were going to take him out, the disciples wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we're drowning, that we're dying, that we're in trouble? And I wonder sometimes if Jesus didn't think back, don't you care that I am going to drown and die, that I'm going to bow my head not to this minor storm, but to the cosmic storm that is the cross? He stilled that storm with the word, but he did not still the storm that would be the cross. There's a a scripture in the New Testament that says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Scholars have wondered in commentaries and allowed for many centuries, what is the object of that sentence? What is the joy that was set before Jesus? And some have posed, well, you know, in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's the joy of honoring his Father. And, of course, there's truth in that. That's appropriate on Father's Day. But I believe the best interpretation of that, and really the majority interpretation from biblical scholars that I've read, is what is the joy set before him? It's you. It's me. He looks at you the way I look at my kids. I can't help it. I literally can't help it. I love him. I can't stop loving him. 
And I'm a very imperfect father. And he looks at you this morning. And he said, I bowed my head to a cosmic storm to show you divine sympathy. Sympathy from a friend is powerful. Uh, a good friend of mine, Tom, who I write sermons with, just the other day, I felt the need to call Tom. But Chad was preaching, and so I had n- nothing to talk to him about. There was no shop to talk. And he hates it when I call him over Bluetooth from the phone. Anybody else hate that? You know, because it's hard to hear. He just really gets after me like, dude, don't call me from your Bluetooth. It's terrible. So I'm thinking, I better not call Tom. But then that just kept nagging on me a little bit. And sometimes that's the Holy Spirit. So I called Tom. There's a pause on the phone, and it's not the Bluetooth. He said, how did you know? My dad just died. Unexpected. Crushing. He's an only child, very close to his dad. So I've been praying for him this morning as he's preached his first Father's Day message without his dad and his life, his earthly father. Now, the earthly sympathy and comfort of entering into his earthly storm meant a lot because we're friends. And if that means so much, an earthly version of it, how much more does a divine version mean? Jesus loves you. He has made a costly sacrifice to forgive your sins. And now he invites you with the most divine and powerful humility and sympathy and love to come out of hiding. Let's pray. Gracious God, where are we? That's the question you ask us. And it's a question you ask us every day. May we be men and women who respond to that question, not with fear, not with retreat into further hiding, but with the sense that you love us enough that we can step out of hiding and greet you in the freshness of a new morning with the same enthusiasm of an Australian shepherd. Help us as we lay our pillow, lay our head rather, on the pillow at night remember that you are the source of all divine sympathy and that even in the divine sent storms you're merely persuading us to come out of hiding. In Jesus name, amen.